are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. We have an amazing treat for you today, actually a, a blessing. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about to get blessed. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, don't be shy. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about to get blessed. Yeah, I'm about to get blessed because that's what's going to happen. You're about to get blessed in the house of the Lord. Um, but um, Jake Atwood, when we first caught the vision for the Pines Church. We had no clue what we were doing. It was just Jess and I and the kids, because they have to. And um, so we had a decent congregation size already. Um, and uh, we, we went out and we did a Facebook Live, just as like this large net. Like whoever's on Facebook, hopefully they see that. Maybe some people will be interested, maybe they won't. And there was this crazy couple in Kansas uh, that said, yeah, we'd like to, we, you know, they watched it and they said, we'd like to receive some more information. So we did a Zoom meeting with them and they went on to explain um, that the Lord was working on their hearts to, to leave their community, to leave their security, to leave the influence, the lives that they made for themselves and leave Kansas, drive all the way across the country to this very cold state and to plant here alongside us at the Pines Church. And I remember in the early days, uh, they, when we first got here, they arrived just a few weeks after us. We were meeting in our living room and we've had the opportunity for our children to start to grow up together. But you will not find a more dedicated and God-fearing man than Jake Atwood. There are so many times that he has shared things with me uh, just in the middle of the week when I needed a word and, you know, unbeknownst to him, he was just in prayer. The Holy Spirit laid something on his heart and he shared. And I want to let you know this, that Jake is a deep well. And so as I get ready to introduce him as our, I don't want to say guest speaker, our home um, preacher today, I want you to know that he's going to share some things that are going to minister to your heart. So I really want you to lean in. We have a responsibility sometimes um, as we're sitting in those seats. We can draw the message out of the prophet, the evangelist, the preacher, or teacher, or we can make it like more difficult for them. And so I hope that you posture your heart to be able to receive because I know that he's been praying, he's been studying, and the Holy Spirit has matured this message in him. And I know that it's going to be like a fire shot up in his bones and he's going to preach, not like me, he's going to preach like Jake Atwood. And so would you please stand to your feet and put your hands together and welcome our minister today, Jake the Snake Atwood. Yeah. Thanks, man. Love you too, man. Jake the Snake. I remember, you guys remember Jake the Snake Roberts? Well, that guy's got a testimony. You should, you should read it. I don't know if he's following the Lord, but his story's wild. And so is this Jake's story. And uh, thank you, Matt, for that. Um, before we, I begin the sermon, um, you know, I want to give God all the glory and Jesus and what he's done. And um, I want to thank you, Pastor Matt and Pastor Jess, for what you've done. I want to thank all the people here that have come together under the vision that God has placed in Pastor Matt and Jess's hearts and come alongside as a family to help cultivate and develop what God is doing here in Maine. It's a beautiful thing that he's doing, that God is placing dreams inside each one of our hearts and separate from one another, it's fragmented. And when we come together, it begins to layer one upon the other and we begin to see the picture of what God is doing. 
It talks about prophecy in the Bible where we prophesy in part. And um, God doesn't show just one person everything. We couldn't handle it anyways. I mean, if God showed one you everything, I mean, we see, we see in Revelation, there was quite a bit of Revelation that John got. But he was 90-some years old, and he had walked a long time with God. God had cultivated a deep space in his heart, had renewed his mind in a way to see much. And so we come together now as a body with different pictures of what God is doing, and, and, and we are unified as a family. And I want to share that today as we go into the scriptures. But I want to pray first and just... Uh, you know, if y'all be kind enough not to shout me down, but to pray me up as I'm doing the, as I'm sharing the sermon, um, I'd appreciate it. And I, I know you will, but I want to just pray over you and I want to just pray to God and just welcome him into this sermon because at the end of the day, you know, this isn't, this isn't about Jake, this is about God. And so thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We welcome your Holy Spirit. We continue our worship now, not just in our hearts, not just in the songs that we sing, but in our minds and in our souls, Lord. We worship you in truth and in spirit, God. And so we welcome you now, Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Lord, that um, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. amen. All right, all right. So there's a couple things that um, I want to share with you today and get across here. The purpose of this sermon and... Um, We've titled it Our Church Fam, which is what we are. We're a family. And I want to do two things here. I want to sow a seed because we're still a new family. We're still a young family. I mean, we've been around for a year. And man, look how much God has done. He brought all these people together that didn't know what each one, you know, or maybe you did come from a church over here and you knew each other over there. But yet God has brought you together in this room and in this space and in this body. And so I believe that he has a word that's for you right now. And if you're listening to this on podcast or on live stream, I believe God has a word for you as well. And we have the general body of Christ that's worldwide. We see Rick Warren say, when we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our father. We become his children. Other believers become our brothers and sisters. And the church becomes our spiritual family. The family of God includes all believers in the past, the present, and the future. From all walks of life. From all different denominations. But we're unified through Jesus, the Son of God. And we have a general family, as I just shared, that spans across the world and spans across time. But then God has placed each one of us in a local family where we can look each other in the eyes and we can laugh with one another and we can cry with one another. We can run with one another. We can rest with one another. And I believe that God is wanting to reveal a benefit that you can only receive when you see it through the lens of a family. There's so many benefits and there's so many different um, aspects of what the church is and how the church operates. I mean, we could do a sermon every week for the next 20 years on the church and what the church is. But today I want to focus um, on my second point, which is to encourage the seed that will be sown today to grow, that it might bear much fruit. And that it might yield a harvest that we see fruit in this lifetime, but also in eternity to come. 
Because we're not just working for each other in this present age. We're, we're saving souls. You know, we want to see people go on to heaven. We don't, wa- we don't want to lose people to hell. You know, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell. And we want to make it beautiful them, for them to see what heaven looks like on earth. And one of the ways that we can do that is as coming together often as a family would. And we're going to go through a little bit of my testimony. And so I'm going to give a, a little description of what a testimony is. And so your testimony, regardless of how ordinary, spectacular, or problematic you think it is, it's a story about God's character. It's your eyewitness account of how God rescued you from sin and death through Jesus and changed your life as a result. I heard someone once say that a testimony is the front porch of God's house. And your testimony, it should lead you into God's house. Your testimony should lead you into the gospel of Jesus Christ. If my testimony ends in me, then it's not a testimony. It's about what Jesus has done. And so each one of us are carrying a testimony. It's the story of who you were and who you're becoming. It's the story of the sin that you dealt with and how Jesus came into your life and rescued you from that sin. And quite frankly, he's constantly rescuing us. It's not like your testimony ended the day you gave your life to Jesus. It actually began a whole new part of your story. And there's so many different areas of our story that we can go into. And you know, there's times when God says, I need you to reserve your story for this. That part of your story you're not ready to tell yet. And there was a part of my story I wasn't ready to tell yet because I wasn't giving God the glory. I was too busy staring at the wounds of my story and blaming others. But I came to a place of healing where God said, all right, Jake, I'm going to let you go on that stage and you won't be too much of a knucklehead. I think you'll be able to, to get the point across. And so he's constantly healing our wounds. You know, miracles often are immediate results. You know, we see a miracle happen and it's a healing that's like boom or it's, or it's just miraculous. It happened quickly. Healing comes over time. And that's why we're always becoming, that's why our testimony is always growing with what Jesus is doing in our lives. He's always growing our story. We share our story with others. We help them to get to know what God is like and what he can do. And I want to share with you that Jesus turns tragedy into testimony. He will take those wounds of your life and he'll, he will begin to, like I was saying, heal them. And he'll give you a story where others can come along that might not have the exact story as you. And guess what? It, not, like I said, not everybody has a testimony where it was tragedy. Jesus didn't just come along to save the poor. He did come along to save the poor. He didn't just come along to save that person that was completely at the end of themselves, although he does that. And I've heard Pastor Matt share on it. I love that he shares this. Jesus came along to save the person that looked like they had it all together. And some of us are carrying testimonies where you might think, you know, my testimony is kind of boring. It doesn't, it just doesn't have a lot of meat to it. And I would argue that your testimony has everything it needs with it if you have Jesus in it. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. Even when we have our, our box made perfect and our act looks like it's everything that it should be on the inside, apart from Christ, we're dead, we're in sin. And so every one of us has a testimony that's worth listening to. And God will place you around the people that need to hear it. 
And those of you that do have your act together and you're saying, man, I, I hear that, Jake, but like, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'll tell you right now, the people that had that crazy life where they, they need the stability of your testimony. You know, some of us needed to see that what you considered a boring life. We, uh, there, there were people that are reaching and grasping to get to that level of security. That security that God has gotten you to. And so, again, that security is not within ourselves; It's within Jesus Christ. There's an Irish proverb that says, It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. Jars of Clay wrote a song about it. And the song's called Shelter. And uh, for any people who like music, you might check that out. But it's in the shelter of each other that the people live. And we're not a social club. The church isn't a social club. We're a family. And so we could come together often. But without Jesus, it's just a social club. But when we come together as a family, there is a shelter and there is a stability and there is a safety and there's a hedge of protection and there's a calling out and there's a strength and there's a power that God brings to us through the lens of a family. And so I want to dive into that through a bit of my testimony. And I want to sow that seed that what I experienced in my testimony, where I was at in that, in that time of my life, that God is going to use that to create a depth and to create a space for us to grow in. It's, you know, bringing in a place where we can hear another person's story that will encourage our faith. The world is getting crazy out there. And it's always been crazy. It's not like it's just now getting crazy. I mean, the first century church... I mean, they were dealing with crucifixions all the time. I mean, being boiled in water and oil and stuff, crazy stuff. We're, we're always navigating circumstances that we don't understand. And the church has been called from the beginning of time to come together often. Before Christ, when it was the Old Testament, you know, they came together in the temple. After Christ, when the Gentile and the Jew was brought as one and grafted into one another, we were still called to come together often. But there was circumstances outside of the church that were just crazy. And I want to say this to the church, to the Pines Church today, that I believe that there is a, that, that the differentiating factor of what really will help us to succeed and to continue succeeding is to grow in that space as a family, which we're already doing. But I want to take this testimony of mine, this experience that I had in a church family, and I want to sow this seed into the body that it would give us faith, that it would show us that, you know, we're going to have complications where we're bringing people in that are in the world. And, you know, it's not that we have to have all the answers, but when we come together in unity as a family, we don't have to do this alone. You don't have to disciple a person by yourself. That there's a family that disciples that person. You don't have to pastor alone. You don't have to minister alone. You know, there's not just one mother in the church. There's multiple mothers. There's not just one father here. And yeah, we've got one God the Father. But there's many men here who are called to be elders and fathers. And yet you might have someone like me who was, a, who was just this crazy guy that comes into the church that needed multiple men around him to begin to chisel that what, what was sin out of my life and to begin to point me towards Jesus and kick my butt towards Jesus and love me towards Jesus and pull me towards Jesus when I couldn't carry myself. And brothers and sisters, if you're young in here, we need to run together. We need to see our peers and we need to encourage one another. And so I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony here and we're going to sow that seed of the family you know, coming together and the testimony of what God did in my life. And so, you know, I was born into a family like all of us are, you know, and, um, but um, it was broken. 
You know, and we all have got families that are at different levels and uh, of, you know, operating. And so, you know, we all have a little bit of brokenness in our family. But, you know, I came from a family where um, there was seven of us kids total. And, um, you know, my parents were married when uh, my father and my mother were married um, up until I was eight years old. Um, my mom had children already through um, two previous marriages and... Um, but our family was very splintered. And so we were all at different age ranges. And I, you know, I've got a brother and I've got an older sister that I've never met who I think is 50, 52 or 53. I could be getting that wrong. I think my brother, my oldest brother's around 50. And then my youngest brother's, I, th I think, you know, he's under 30. He's around 26 or 27. Should have wrote these numbers down. I'm not, I'm more of a bigger picture guy. I'm probably going to text and calls like, Jake, man, you couldn't even get my age right. What's the deal with that? But, but anyways, so we're all over the range. So our family was always compartmentalized and, and we had different fathers and there was four fathers total. And I'm not knocking anybody because I've had a child out of marriage, which I'm about to share. I've got I've got uh, a daughter and then two other children from two different relationships. So hear me out. I'm saying this from a place of where I've come from as well. But, but my family, just sharing my experience, came from four different fathers. And so there was just different fractions of our family that were going on. And from a, from a childhood, I always had this desire to be a family. And my dad sold rainbow vacuum cleaners and he used Aquanet to part his comb over and wore a suit to bed. Like the guy was always wearing a suit, you know, he's like always dressed up and he had these, he had these cowboy boots with like the little steel toes on the ends of them. And you know what I mean? This Kansas guy selling rainbow vacuum cleaners. And so when I was asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, yeah, I want to have a family. And I think uh, I want to sell vacuum cleaners. And the teacher was like, man, you're in kindergarten. You, you know, you don't even worry about having a family. Like you need to learn about how to spell your name and vacuum cleaners. Like, don't you want to be a doctor or firefighter? I was like, no, no, I was like, I want to have a family. I want to be a dad. I want to get married. You know, I didn't even know what it meant. For me, getting married meant that you just, you know, you just had someone else to hang out with, and then you carried this heavy box that had a vacuum cleaner in it, and you went and knocked on doors. And so, but, but I did, though. I had this desire from a very young age to have a family and be a part of a family. And consequently, that was the thing that I'm going to share through my testimony that I completely failed at and, and fumbled for and in my own strength struggled to, to have and to live with and to grow. And um, so I was born into that family. And so at 16 years old, I'm living on my own, um, roommates with my older sister, working at Burger King, thinking I'm tough stuff. I got my hair long. I wasn't missing this part up front. Shaved underneath. I had a couple skateboards and every now and then we didn't have man buns back then, but we had this weird ponytail thing that went like that with the hair shaved underneath. And and, uh, you know, anyways, man, that's what I was rolling. I thought I had a chain wallet, thought I was the coolest guy. And so I threw a party and uh, 16 years old and I've got all these people showing up at my house and I'm, I'm, I'm living in sin. And I meet, uh, I meet who would go on to become my daughter's mother at 16. We didn't have our daughter at 16, but I met her at 16. And so fast forward to 19 years old, you know, I am uh, without a family. I have uh, gone through crazy stuff, you know, in my life up to that point. Uh, shot through the chest with a Mac 11, a 9mm went in and out through my arm and finger. You know, I was doing drugs. I was eating mushrooms that made you hallucinate. And I was putting them on pizza like it was candy and eating them. And I was jumping out of trees and thinking I was Mr. Invincible. And, and I, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that I was a jerk or anything to my friends or I didn't, I didn't come off as a, as like a real tough guy. I just wasn't willing to listen to anybody. I was rogue. 
I was all over the place. And so um, I had a lot of sin in my life. And so 19 years old, uh, my daughter was born, Lacey Jo. And so um, I'll show you a picture over here. Um, so there's a picture of Lacey. And I'm 19 years old and I cut that crazy haircut that I was telling you about. Because on the outside of my life at that point, I was trying to make it look like I had it all together. You know, I, I picked this picture because my eyes were closed. Because any other picture at that time, they would have been bloodshot red. Because I was probably smoking weed or doing something else prior to that. But in that picture, I made it look like I had myself all together. And I was trying. And I want to share, um, I want to share this um, scripture with you. It's Romans 7:18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so at 19 years old, I had this dream of being a part of a family. I had this dream. I constantly was thinking of ways to, you know, to, to create a family and to be a part of a family. But like that scripture says, it says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And I have the desire to do what is right, but I just don't have the ability to carry it out. So on my own in this life, I was trying to carry out these dreams that God had placed in my life. I just didn't have the ability. I didn't have the strength. I was on my own. See, family helps cultivate the dreams in your heart. The family of God helps to develop the dreams in your heart that God has placed in your heart. And the blind spots that we have, the family of God, men and women come along and through the scripture and the Holy Spirit and preaching and teaching, they begin to help you navigate and see those blind spots and course correct you. And then give you the strength through Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit, to begin walking out those dreams. On my own, I just didn't have the strength and the power. So at 19 years old, um, I had Lacey. And it was within about a, probably a, almost a year after that. Because of my attitude. Because I was a jerk. Because I couldn't control myself. Because I was... In one, you know, one day having a great day, the next day having a horrible day, you know, she, she jumped out, and rightly so. So I was working a nighttime job. I was working two jobs at that time, and uh, Adam's business forms. I was working a printing press, and I would work, leave at 7 o'clock at night and come back home at 7 a.m. Came back home at 7 a.m., and everything in the house was gone. And uh, it wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. It was my fault. It took me a long time to figure that out. So I come home and everything's gone and my daughter's out of the house and my daughter's mom is out of the house. I wasn't abiding in Jesus and I didn't have a church family to hold me accountable. I didn't have a, even a family family to hold me accountable. I failed miserably in my own strength. And so for the next year or so, I would try to get my act together and I came to a place where I actually was able to have joint custody with my daughter and she was coming over to visit and uh, she was still a little baby. She was old enough to, old enough to walk. So I would walk her up and down the street. I had a little bit, a uh, little apartment, which is kind of cool. The guy that even gave me the apartment saw that I had horrible credit and I wasn't making much money. And uh, I just remember telling him, I said, hey, uh, you know, I, I got, I have to get this apartment. I want to get my kid. And uh, he said, that's all right, man. He goes, this is called Trinity, Trinity Properties. And he goes, you know, this is a place where, uh, where God is at. And I was like, 
What are you talking about? An apartment complex? For God is that? That's crazy. But he was a Christian. And so even in my own weaknesses and even as I'm walking around by myself without having a family of God, God was still trying to help me and navigate me. But you couldn't, I couldn't see it. I was, I was on my own. I was by myself. And so fast forward years and years and years. Well, let me back it up a little bit. I get to a point in my, te- in my story where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now working three jobs and um, things did not go well with me and her mother and I'm stepping out of the picture because I'm trying to make all this money and I'm trying to grow this idea that I have to perform to have a family. And, um, and so I get in this works mentality. And when you get in a works mentality where everything that you do is based out of your own strength, you also get in this mentality of judgment where you begin to condemn yourself. And so you're good and if, if, you do, if you do well here, it'll equal that. And you should get this. But if you fail, you should also immediately be disciplined. And I was constantly judging myself. So I would work, you know, three jobs. And I would think, okay, I'm getting the money saved up. We're going to have this. We're going to have the, I'm going to save up and buy a house. And I'm going to change my life. And then the weekend would hit and I would be exhausted. And my friends would say, hey, man, like, you've been working hard. You know, let's, uh, let's go hang out. And next thing you know, we're rolling up blunts and we're partying. And then the next morning, Monday would wake up. I'd go into my first job and I'd think, man, I just messed it all up. I messed it all up. I have to start over again. And so a week would turn into a month, would turn into three months in this cycle, this constant cycle of living in the flesh and dealing with what we call like the law, you know, where we're dealing in the flesh and I'm constantly being penalized and disciplined and I'm not experiencing grace, the grace that a family brings, the forgiveness that a family brings. I'm in this works mentality where everything is tit for tat. And um, something like 11 years go by, I'd say nine years go by, and I'm, uh, I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, gone through a marriage, hadn't seen my daughter in nine years. I'm still going through this idea that I can make enough money to be a good enough dad, to have a big enough house to prove that I deserve my family. I got married, um, started two businesses. I'm carrying this mentality where, okay, now I'm not just going to try to make 10 bucks an hour, but I'm going to try to make a hundred grand a year. And then it was like, I got hooked up uh, with a business team and the business team, you know, you got to live your dream, live your dream. And so I'm living my, I'm thinking, okay, my dream, I'm going to now become a millionaire and I'm going to prove to them that I'm good enough to be a father, to be a dad, to have a family. So I'm going to get an even bigger house because more time has gone by. And then I'll get that expensive lawyer to help me get my daughter back. And then every time I failed at that, crushed. And the whole time, time is going by. And this little girl of mine is growing up. And she's being fathered by another man. And she's being mothered by her mother. And she now has siblings in her life. And so at 11 years old in her life, I'm at work and I get papers requesting for an adoption. Not that I was going to adopt her, but that that family that she had grown up in, that I had been out of, the father that was nurturing her and loving her wanted to adopt her due to some circumstances. And so at this point, I had come into the greenhouse culture, which was a church that I had been brought to. And this is where I want to share with you everything that changed in my life and the, and the, and the power of what a family can really do for a person that comes into the fold and submits to God 
and submits to his teaching and submits to the elders and allows God to pour into them. So I find my family, the greenhouse culture, and it's this crazy little church that that's focuses on small groups and discipleship, one-on-one -on -one relationships, constantly pouring out into one another and getting into intimate relationships in the sense intimate not being, you know, like marriage, but just being able to open up and be vulnerable with one another in a healthy way. And so I'm in this, I'm in this church and I'm growing. And I want to share with you Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see that as a picture of the first century church acting like a family. And I'd walked into this church that when I hear this scripture, I felt after years of being there that this was what this, we were living in what felt like a first century church. Times change and strategies change. Regions have different strategies. God doesn't call every church to be a cookie cutter. We, we have closed-handed ideologies and open-handed ideologies. A closed-handed ideology is Jesus is the way, the truth. No man may come to the Father but through Christ. An open-handed ideology and, and church culture might be, do we have pews or do we have fold-up chairs, right? So we have different styles and things like that. But I get into this, this place where we are fellowshipping with one another and then I get that adoption paper. And for seven years in that church, six years in that church, I was serving and giving and being poured into. And prior to that, what I didn't share was as I was working and I had one foot in the world, I would still jump into churches and I would go to the most charismatic church I could find because I had sinned so bad over here. I thought I needed like an evangelist to knock me out and lay me on the floor. And so I would go in there and I'd fall out in the spirit and then I would dip out. And I'd be gone for the next six months and I would go sin. And then I'd be like, man, I need another jolt of God. And so I'd run back in the church and I'd stick around for three weeks, four weeks, you know, receiving the goodness of God without any accountability, without loving back, without pouring back into. And then I would dip back out. Finally, I come to this church and I remember my pastor sitting me down and we're at a Bible study and it's the end of it. And he's like, man, Jake, he's like pouring into me. Much the way Pastor Matt does here, I hear him pouring into so many people. And Pastor Jess, I hear them speaking life into so many of us, so many of you. But I'm in this church and he says, you know, Jake, God is a God of miracles. But he says, and you don't need another miracle. I got mad. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, like we, 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 we need to see like limbs grown and things like that. He's like, no. He's like, you don't need another miracle. He said, you need a family. And he, and he got up and walked away. And it just stung, but it was so good because it was through that family I began to experience miracles. And it's through this family here that we're going to experience miracles. 
And it won't be that you experience that miracle alone. It's going to be that you experience that miracle with one another. And that testimony of those miracles, those healings, those signs and wonders, those relationships being restored, those families coming back together, there's going to be an account full of witnesses that are going to be able to go out into the world and share what the glory of God has done through Christ Jesus. And then that person that came in that needed that restoration is going to be surrounded by a multitude of people that love him or her. You might be that person today. You might be in here and you're like, man, I, I'm a mess and uh, I just don't, I don't know how to do this church thing. That's okay. You don't have to know how to do this church thing. You're surrounded by people that do know how to do this church thing. Church is a family, not an event. This church thing isn't just an event. This church thing is a family. And so I came to this place where I stopped looking only to take and I started learning to truly love and be loved. But when that adoption happened, I went through and I found out that I had this case against me as far as the time I had been away from my daughter and all my good intentions. Because remember that first scripture that we read. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. All those years, that cycle that I was in of not being able to carry out my best intentions had finally caught up to me. My daughter was now growing and she had a family she was placed in. And I was being placed in a family. And I get to this weird place where I realize that I am now about to lose guardianship and lose any opportunity I'd ever have to be a father. And my dream of, you know, going on and fixing everything myself and becoming a millionaire and getting this expensive lawyer to come and bring the hammer down and give me my daughter back all crashed down as I, as I was counseled by men that took my eyes off myself and began to place my eyes on her and ask what's the best for her because we've heard your dream but what dreams has God placed in her heart and it's a hard thing to hear and you're getting sound bites on stage and I know that there's going to be a lot more questions and like well what about this this and that and we don't have the time for that and I'm doing my best to get you through because there's a conclusion I want to reach but the question that was asked was what's the best for her and the loving thing that God does is he takes our eyes off ourselves. And as we mature in love, he begins to show us we have the capacity to place them on others. That the benefit of who God is in their life might grow and blossom. And it's not just about me anymore. And what do I want? And God destroyed that dream. And I remember signing that paper. And she was out of my life. Not just time-wise, but even, even the idea that I was her guardian, you know, was gone. And then I remember the next thing happening, I was just absolutely terrified that I was going to lose the only family that I had truly had, my church family. Because up to that point, everything was, in my life, was I would receive based on how well I did, and I would be disciplined based on how bad, I made a mistake. And so I was sure that this family of God was going to kick me out. I was sure that I was going to be reprimanded. I was sure that people were going to judge me and that I would go from having relationships with men and women that had beautiful families to now being shown like you are, you're a nothing. And that's not what happened. God doesn't condone our sin, 
But he is a righteous judge, full of mercy and compassion. And he sees us where we're at, and he knows the intricate details that we don't know, that we do know, that others don't know, that others do know. And he comes and looks at that, and he does what he believes is best. And when we submit our life to his will, he begins reconciliation. And there are things that we do in our life that leads to death through sin. And there are things in our life that we can mess up that we might not be able to fix in this time. But there are things, if we'll allow God and His grace and in His wisdom and in His sovereignty, where He can take anything that's dead and bring it back to life. The definition of reconciliation, and I'll be quick here, we'll get to a close because time keeps on ticking, ticking. Reconciliation, to call back into union and friendship the affections which have been alienated. To restore to friendship or favor after estrangement. All I wanted was a family. I wanted this nightmare to be over. I wanted to just, I wanted to finally just love and be loved. And I was terrified that I would lose my family, my, my church family. That's not what happened. My, they didn't reject me. They embraced me. And that's what a family does. So I'm in this situation where I believe I've just rejected my daughter. And then I look over here and this church family that I think should reject me embraces me. Drove right to the core of my heart. And God knew that I, I wasn't trying to reject my daughter. He knew that I had tried everything I could. But when I got my eyes off of myself and I realized that she had just grown up in this family, was the loving thing for me to do, try to rip her out of this family and go to war, or to let her grow with her siblings and her brothers and her sisters and her mother and her new father, who she's always known, and the grandparents that she had been a part of. And so as I'm losing this dream of my family over here with my daughter that I had held on so tightly, God gets me to a place where I just drop it and let it go and I'm, and I'm absolutely humbled. And he says, okay, now I'm going to walk and restore that dream that you always had and, and I'm going to show you that you've always had a family. Family isn't just something that happens. Family is intentional. And there's a responsibility that we carry to bring the family together and to operate as a family. In my church family back in Kansas did just that. I had men and women that were pouring into me. I remember the day after that paper was signed, I, I had t 10 or 20 text messages. I, I, I literally had um, people inviting me over to dinner that were the families that I thought were going to reject me. I literally had men saying, hey, uh, we were actually praying for you this whole time. Um, you know, we want you to know that we love you. And I literally became best friends with another guy who I thought was going to completely reject me. Um, who had adopted a daughter and he began to show me what it was like from her perspective to be an adopted child to help me navigate my prayers for my daughter who had now just gone through an adoption. Crazy stuff that the kingdom does. I thought that guy would look at me like I was the, the worst loser. Now kingdom, kingdom will mess your theology up. When you walk, it's like Jesus walking up and picking up mud and slapping it on someone's eyes and giving them vision. God does strange things. But he knows what he's doing. And so, 
my pastor went on to say, hey, you know, Jake, I know you were going through that adoption. He goes, I want you to start this program called the, uh, and we named it the loft. He goes, and I said, no, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I want you to go on to start taking care of middle schoolers and high schoolers. I was like, no, man, no, man, I don't, I, keep me away from these kids. I don't deserve to do that. He's like, nope, I want you to open up the loft. So I opened up this program called the loft. And the first week that it opened up, 100 middle and high schoolers showed up. So I lose my daughter and nothing, no person is ever able to replace my daughter. And no person will be able to replace your daughter or your son or, your, or a person in your life. But God is in the process of reconciliation and healing. And so he surrounds me with a hundred middle schoolers that smell like feet and corn chips. <laughs> to help me recognize what my daughter might be going through. Things, and, and I didn't necessarily know what God was up to, but he's getting me around all these middle schoolers and he's having me pour into them because I had this wound that I needed to love my daughter and I, and I, felt, like it was a, I felt like it was stagnant water not being able to love her. So God said, okay, I want you to love on these hundred middle schoolers that smell like corn chips and feet every Wednesday. And he began restoring my heart as a father as she's growing. And he begins getting my eyes on her for my prayers. I couldn't father her, but I could pray for her. And then he's, my pastor comes to me and says, okay, hey, you did good. None of the kids died. Uh, they're doing okay. You know, they, you know, you made the room smell good after the feet and corn chips. He's like, let's do youth group. I want you to be a youth pastor. I'm like, no, man, no, man. I, I don't deserve to share God's word. And, it's and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, we need you to do that. So he's stepping me into, and, and the family does that. Family calls the things of God out of you. Family restores the broken in you. Family helps heal you. We go through it together. So I became a youth pastor. And we'll tie this thing up because I'm going a little late. I created a website called ILoveYouLaceyJoe.com. Remember the day I signed that adoption paper, uh, my, my pastor's wife shared something with me. And she said, hey, Jake, you know, something that I, my dad or you could do is write her letters even if you can't give them to her. So I, I said, I remember looking at the computer and I, I saw Facebook and the Holy Spirit, it wasn't me, it wasn't me that came up with this idea. God used uh, my pastor's wife's idea and then merged it together. I love you, LaceyJack.com dropped into my heart and I created this website. It was like a blog. And for any of you that try to go to it now, it's, I took it off. It's not, you're not going to find it on there, but let me tell you what it was. It was like a blog. And for three almost three years straight, every single week I wrote her a letter. I shared pictures of me graduating high school at 31. I shared pictures of Catherine's stomach when it was out to here with Abigail. I shared pictures when Abby was born. I began to create this place that I hoped was like a billboard for my daughter to sneak onto and see. And I posted that name of that website right all over my Facebook. Every week I was posting, I love you, Lacey Joe." hoping she would sneak on there, but if she never did, I wanted, I, I wanted to at least be able to express my love. So I'm posting this thing and I'm telling her, hey, look, this is what God is doing. Hey, this new song came out. I like hip hop. Check this out. This is Dream Junkies. They got a great song, which by the way, great Christian hip hop band. Not around anymore, but they were good while they lasted. And so like, I don't know if she's looking at it. One night I get a message on Instagram and at the end of every letter, I didn't feel like I could write love dad. I felt like I had lost that. So, and I didn't want to write love Jake because I didn't, I didn't want her to think that if she did think I was dad that I was rejecting her very complicated things we're dealing with here right so I didn't know what to write and I was like I can't leave a letter blank I just the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart love built a way 
love always builds a way. It's like three years later, I get an Instagram and there's this little, little girl, spag noodle. Like who in the world is spag noodle? Hey, I'm your daughter. All right, Lacey, that's you. Okay. I'm about to delete this. Like, you know, who is this? Thank God I didn't delete it. Hey, I've been reading these letters you've been writing. Snuck on your Facebook. All right. She's like, pretty wild. I want to meet you. I'm like, I want to meet you too. So we're talking. I'm bawling. And, uh, we just begin to talk through Instagram a little bit and just share things. And uh, go ahead and put up that picture. March 2019, 16 years old. Last time I'd seen her, she was this big. She's getting to meet her little sister at a zoo. Reconciliation. Let's read that definition one more time. I'm sorry, Pastor Matt, I went a little long. To call back into union and friendship the affections which have been alienated. To restore to friendship or favor after estrangement. I had to let go of that dream that I carried on my own. And I want to sow the seed into this family. That apart from God, we're not going to accomplish much apart from one another, will accomplish very little. But when we come together, things might not make sense right away. But when we come together often and we operate like a family, God will do the miraculous. He will bring what was dead back to life. I'll say one more thing because I know Pastor Matt, he told me, Jake, don't go late. And I did. I've already broken the first rule of Fight Club. And, uh, and so here we go. So Aaron did a spoken word, and I'm not as cool as Aaron. I can't do it, but beautiful eulogy has a song, According to God. And he says, As a child, I struggled to identify most of my misplaced anger and rage, dealing with the whole of emotional consequences based on the way I was raised. The feeling for affection and affirmation, adjusted performance to get attention and gain, some sort of acceptance, but found I was always rejected and pushed away. Deep scars, feeling of not belonging, caused tall emotional walls. And any attempt to recover from the loss of my confidence was incredibly small. The residual effects of abandonment had me observing my character flaws and viewing them all as insufficiently capable of relating or growing with God. I believe these lies to be true for me. My experience was the proof for me up to the point I can sense Christ's relentless love and complete pursuit of me and spoke to me offering me hope and life through his word, showing me his beauty, changing my perception and giving me perspective of the way God truly viewed me. A man who was prized and pardoned and chosen before the world's foundation, his own possession, his royal priesthood, I'm part of his holy nation. I'm his friend, I'm valued, completely cared for enough for Christ to purchase. According to God, I'm an adopted child with intimate access created with purpose. And each one of us are adopted into God's family. And he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. 
the family of God doesn't operate the way the world does. We correct one another. We lift one another up. We call one another out. Things aren't always perfect, but there's forgiveness, grace, mercy, life, reconciliation, restoration, and so much more. So Father God, I want to thank you so much for today. I want to thank you for every person listening, God. I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit and what you've done and what you're doing through the lives of the newest person and the person that's been in your fold for the, for the last 110 years. I don't know, maybe we got like a 112-year-old person out there. Add them in there too, Lord. But I want, to, I want to thank you, God, for that. And I pray that the seed that was sown today would show that we're going to have complicated circumstances that come into the family of God. That we're going to have hard things that press against us. But there's a benefit that we will only experience when we come together as a family and when we love one another. It's in these things we pray, Jesus. Amen. And they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. God is no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he'll do for another. I don't care how impossible your situation looks. I don't know how convoluted and confusing the future may appear. God makes a way where there is no way. He redeems, he reconciles, he brings the dead back to life. I want to encourage you if something if the Holy Spirit highlighted something on the inside of you, Jake's going to be on the side. I encourage you to go to him. Ask questions. Allow him to feed your faith. We're so blessed to be able to do life alongside one another. Jake, thank you so much for opening up just a little bit of your story and blessing and trusting us with it. Till next time, Godspeed, my friends. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.